Welcome everybody to Churn Hacking, a customer success podcast. I'm your host, Daniel Nathan. In this series, we'll be speaking with customer success leaders and inspirational speakers to understand their views on CS and learn how they rose to prominent leadership positions in their careers. In these interviews, we'll be discussing how they led customer success organizations, their views on the industry, and sharing some best practices that hopefully you can take away and implement in your roles to help your team run more efficiently and effectively. Welcome to Churn Hacking. So I'm delighted to say that joining me this episode is Daniel Goldfeld, VP of Global Customer Success at Perimeter 81. Daniel, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's great to be here. And it's great to have you. Uh, Daniel, I think it would be a great start to the interview if you could maybe give us a bit of a, a background to yourself, how you got started in customer, CS, in customer success, and tell us a little bit about the great work you're doing over at uh, Perimeter 81. So um, I've actually came to customer success from uh, a more product-oriented roles. I was actually a, a product manager uh, in uh, a small startup, uh, then moved into a product delivery role where I was in charge of actually doing the uh, uh, implementation and onboarding of uh, customers. It was sort of a, an on-premise, on-premise uh, storage solution. Um, and from that point on, I found my way to the uh, uh, customer success roles just because uh, I saw that there is a lot of uh, customer-facing experience that I've gained uh, in those different roles, and it seemed to be a very, very uh, seamless shift for me to 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 go into this position. Indeed, and that's actually very interesting. A lot of uh, CSMs perhaps don't come from, let's say, a product implementation specialist background. So I think it's a, it's a great skill, or certainly great experience, to bring uh, into uh, you know the the CS role. Um, how was that transition? What skills and what experiences did you have? Did you pick up? as a product delivery expert that helps you transition across into CS? So I had a lot of, uh, I had a chance to talk to a lot of uh, actual users and users of our products uh, and to understand the actual pain points that they were feeling. And I saw a gap between the way the company uh, was viewing the product and planning the product and how it was actually used by our customers and users. So uh, basically, um, by, by bridging this gap, uh, I got the experience of actually becoming sort of a customer successor, sort of a, um, an end user ambassador within the organization or the voice of the customer uh, who started to, to talk to our uh, uh, internal teams about how users are actually using the product and uh, uh, try to understand why there's a difference uh, between how we see the product and how it's being actually used by the actual users. Well, that's brilliant. I, I like that very much. And it, it's, I, I think it's, it's the dream of every sort of CS organization to have, um, uh, mem- you know, to have, have team members in that, uh, in that role where they have had previous experience in products, because often, and exactly as you've just pointed out, there's often a gap or let's say a breakdown or a misalignment often between products and, and how products see the customer or how they expect the customer to use the service or the, or the platform versus the CSMs who actually do understand how the uh, how the customer is using the platform. So it's great to see that you noticed that gap and you thought, you know what, I'm going to bridge that gap and I'm going to uh, bring our product team and our company back in line with the actual customer vision. So that's excellent. Um, I'd like to know a little bit more, if you can, about Perimeter 81 and uh, and the company there. Can you tell us about what you do there, what the what the product is? 
Definitely. So Perimeter 81 actually provides uh, the comp uh, companies the ability to work remotely and basically remote, uh, provide remote access into internal and external resources in a secure manner. Uh, we basically uh, uh, provide sort of a network and a security as a service solution. Uh, and we replace the legacy uh, security approach where uh, you don't need any hardware installed in your uh, companies or in your data centers, but you can rather just use a, a software-based solution that will provide you a very similar experience with a lot of different uh, features on top of that. Um, the customer success organization within the company uh, is basically facing the challenge of actually uh, transitioning uh, a very, very uh, big part of the security uh, understanding of our customers that is uh, very heavily focused on the understanding that you need to have hardware and uh, uh, and the devices within the organization into the understanding um, that you don't, that you can actually uh, gain the same benefits and the same security level uh, by just go just by going with a software-based solution. Excellent. And I think probably in the advent of remote working or the increased uh, culture of remote working now, I imagine uh, Perimeter 81 are, are cooking on gas right now, as we would say, uh, in the UK. Um, let's talk a little bit about customer success in general. Uh, I, you know, Let's talk about what are your views on customer success? How would you, if someone walks up to you in the street and say, what is customer success? How would you best de uh, define it to that person? So I think that customer success is actually aligning the uh, business goals of the organization with the needs of our customers, basically finding as, as much correlation as possible between what our customers are trying to get out of the product and what kind of business pain points they're trying to resolve uh, and to try to align it as much as possible with the business goals and the product roadmap that we have within our product. Uh, and the more correlation we can find, uh, probably the better fit we're going to have for the customer and then our job is basically to emphasize this fit, to show this fit and get the customer to a point where they, where they actually get a value realization of uh, the benefit and uh, that they're getting out of our products and the relationship. Yeah, I think that's a, a fantastic definition and one I very much agree with myself. And Daniel, could you give us a little insight as to what the customer success structure currently is at Perimeter 81? Definitely. So uh, we actually have three different teams uh, within the customer success organization. Uh, the first one is the uh, support team uh, that is combined out of uh, tier one and tier two support teams that are providing all of the support to our customers. Uh, the second team is the actual customer success team. Those are uh, sort of uh, technical account managers that are uh, in charge of the technical uh, vertical of the relationship with our customers and even with our leads. Uh, and the third team, uh, and this is uh, a little bit uh, different than our other organizations probably, is the BizOps. So the business operations are also sitting under the uh, customer success organization within Perimeter 81. Excellent. So let's. So you've got the tier one, tier two customer success team, and then your technical account managers. Would you say the technical account managers are uh, officially your what, what is classed as customer success managers? Yes. Yes, indeed. Uh, but... Uh, I think it's a little bit different maybe from a lot of organizations that have their own customer success where they've uh, shifted uh, the account manager role into customer success. Uh, what we did in Perimeter 81 is actually added this role as, an, uh, as a new role within the organization. So we do have account managers. They're reporting to the VP of sales and the CRO. 
Um, and their job is to manage the commercial uh, relationship with the customer. So they're in charge of the expansions, they're in charge of the renewals, they're in charge of the uh, commercial discussions that, they, that we have with the customers. While the customer success engineers, this is how we call them, are actually in charge of the technical relationship. Their job is to become sort of a trusted advisor, but the technical trusted advisor, uh, and help the companies to get to better adoption of the product. Because our our main uh, idea of customer success and the thing that we actually measure with all of our KPIs is not um, how much growth the customer success is bringing to the organization. So not how much expansion they're bringing or renewals or how much churn they prevent, but actually the adoption of the product. So uh, in, our, in our perception, the better adoption we have within the organization, the more likely it is to renew and expand uh, because more and more use cases will be basically brought into the solution. Yeah, I, I think that concept actually of concentrating or at least focusing more on adoption than anything else is is really key. And I think a lot of organizations um, make often make the mistake of focusing too much on the revenue side, on, on the actual logo churn, on the revenue churn, when ultimately, as you say, concentrating and focusing on the adoption will in turn lead to those success metrics, those financial success metrics like net revenue retention and logo churn will actually lead them to be successful anyway. Um, and I think uh, concentrating or focusing on adoption will lead to success on both your side as a, as a company, but also your client side as well, uh, which I think is excellent. So looking at the customer success setup, you've, you've been talking about the customer success engineers who are the day-to-day -day trusted advisors. Uh, and then you mentioned briefly the business operations, which also falls under the customer success umbrella. Could you talk a little bit more about what that involves at that level? Sure. So um, as you probably know, the business operation is basically in charge of actually making sure uh, that uh, we have our uh, sales funnel and that basically uh, we close as many deals as possible and that we are able to forecast uh, uh, how we're going to finish the quarter uh, and how many renewals we're going to have, how many new business we're going to bring. Um, and also they're in charge of uh, basically reporting and building all of the different uh, uh, supporting information that we need within the organization in order to better understand where we stand as a company, at least uh, in regards to ARR. Um, the business operation within Perimeter 81 uh, is basically uh, helping both teams, the sales team and the customer success team, to measure the KPIs and uh, all of the, uh, basically measure the KPIs that we have within the organization. So uh, they're in charge of actually making sure that both the pre-sale and the post-sale processes are actually going in accordance to what we've set for the quarter. So new business, new deals, new logos alongside with existing business that is basically doing the right, going through the right process, uh, adapting the product, growing within the company, doing upgrades and expansions. So everything is basically coming into uh, one set of reports that we then uh, examine and manage as a management. Okay, I like that very much. And, and going back to the, the various roles that you have, um, within the customer success organization, you were talking about the technical account managers who deal with the uh, the commercial side of things, the renewals, the expansions, and you have the customer success engineers. So it seems like you have quite a collaborative approach when it comes to, uh, let's say, managing your, your customer's lifecycle. How do you ensure that smooth collaboration uh, between, for example, your technical account managers and customer success engineers? And, and how is that approach, um, how is that approach uh, accepted by the clients? So first of all, internally, Inside the company, it was a challenge 
it was a challenge to bring this uh, because a lot of account managers and a lot of sales people um, are tend to work alone I mean this is this is how the sales world uh, world works in a lot of different companies so building those duos uh, was definitely a challenge for us as a company um, I think one of the main uh, key points where we've realized that this is actually working is is when we've started to notice that uh, when having uh, a technical uh, person and a salesperson on a call, both on the pre-sale and the post-sale uh, uh, meeting, uh, provides a lot of different insights and builds a more a stronger relationship with the customer. Because sometimes uh, we do see that a lot of our prospects or existing customers Uh, don't feel comfortable to share a lot of information with the salespeople with the account managers because they they don't want to be sold they don't want they don't they feel that some of the information they might give them will basically result in the account manager pushing for an upgrade or for a sale while they actually have a pain point they want to resolve with the existing solution and this is where uh, the technical relationship is actually very 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 useful to Uh, because if we have a trusted advisor who's not measured by the sales and by the expansion they're not pushing for a sale and they're able to give a very very detailed and a very uh, uh, honest response and help and assistance with the existing solution sometimes and even if they can't their opinion and their voice when they're telling the customer that listen this is something where you will need to buy an additional feature or this is where we can solve it with a different use case or Uh, there's uh, you you'll require additional licenses for something will be accepted by the customer as a genuine advice rather than an attempt to uh, upsell the account and in those points where we've started to realize that uh, when we have both people on the call uh, we get better results uh, this is where the organization started shifting into understanding that having those two different verticals and two people on the call are actually very beneficial for our relationships with the uh, with the customers and prospects that's excellent and I, I very much like how you as an organization have bought into the fact that there's a re- there needs to be a real emphasis on someone at least uh, in that your case the customer success engineer being that trusted advisor in the eyes of your clients and it's a, f- a philosophy that we're seeing more and more and Uh, and you know it seems to be working very well so that's great to hear I'd like to shift the conversation Daniel over to something uh, a little bit more practical and in terms of uh, one of the most difficult aspects of customer su- uh, success especially when perhaps startups or scale-up companies are, are really trying to invest in customer success is segmentation how do which clients fall into which category for which uh, you know for which customer success approach could you give us a little bit more information about how you your segmentation of your clients work over at uh, perimeter 81 yeah so basically have a metrics um, and we segment our customers into three different groups um, first of all we of course uh, segment them based on their ARR so the uh, the actual revenue that we're getting from each one of the accounts uh, we're handling 10% well roughly 10% of our accounts are the the, the biggest accounts that we have the, they're generating most of our ARR Uh, another 30% or so are basically the medium size accounts that are generating uh, uh, also a significant portion of our ARM and then this, the remaining 60% are actually our long tail a lot of different companies but with very small subscriptions we're generating about 20 to 30% of our ARR so this is the first segmentation the basic one however we've at some point we've realized that this is not enough in order to segment the customers and 
Uh, and we've added another metric, and this is the company size. Uh, because our product is focused on all of the company employees, we are also trying to measure the potential of the account. So even if we have a small account that is actually generating a very small ARR every year, but we know that they're part of a huge corporation or a Fortune 500 company, they might be uh, classified as part of our basically high-touch segment, although they're a small account, because we do see that there is a potential within uh, within the relationship to grow this into a big account. So basically, it's sort of a metrics uh, where we look at the ARR, we look at the amount of employee, the number of employees of each company, and based on this metrics, we then segment them out in one of the three, three different segments that we have. Small companies, so sort of SMBs, medium-sized companies, and large-sized companies. Excellent. And with those three tiers, uh, as you said, you mentioned the the the, the biggest, uh, your, you know, your AR, your highest spending customers who bring in most ARR get the, the high touch approach. Do you then separate the other two tiers with different um, different customer success programs such as medium touch, tech touch, that type of thing? Yes, definitely. So first of all, our approach is always under promise and over deliver. That's uh, what we like to repeat. So uh we are trying to get all of our customers to get uh, more than they're actually paying for. But of course, we have limited manpower. Uh, so the biggest accounts, the ones that are part of our large segment, are definitely getting the high-touch uh, uh, um, uh, benefits and, and focus of our team. Uh, this means we're performing QBRs. We're uh, following up on the account. Uh, we are trying to keep the champions engaged and the power users engaged. Uh, the medium-sized companies are also getting uh, business review meetings once every six months or so. Uh, we're also trying to keep sort of an ongoing relationship um, with the champions within the organizations. And with the small accounts, this is more of a low touch where customer success is almost not involved. Uh, usually the customer success is only involved through the support teams, uh, where the support is actually acting as uh, a little bit of a customer success engineer, uh, they provide a little bit of guidance and consultants, but we don't have uh, a dedicated customer success who's uh, who's actually uh, looking at those accounts or who's reporting on those accounts and then have them as part of their portfolio. Yeah, and I think I think that that segmentation makes sense, um, as you say, particularly given that uh, with limited resource, limited manpower, the the, the tech touch is often left to uh, a more reactive style approach especially when it comes to the uh, the customer support team so yeah that that makes sense and that's uh, that's great to hear um could you talk to us a little bit about the the key metrics that your success organization uh tries to achieve so first of all we're using nps um i know there's a lot of uh debates about how efficient it is uh we're trying to use nps uh, to track uh, all of our users active users within the platform. So we actually have a quite complex uh, formula that we run based on which we decide who is going to get an NPS and when. Um, we're also, of course, measuring, measuring CSATs, so any engagements that um, um, our customers are having with support and their satisfaction from the support. But one of the most important metrics that we look at is actually uh, monthly active users and daily active users. And also we measure feature adoption. Uh, so I've, I've, I've mentioned before that adoption is considered to be a very important key metric within uh, the customer success organization. Um, and this is one of the main uh, KPIs that I'm measuring my team on. Uh, basically, uh, 
I'm verifying and checking the adoption of the product of each one of our biggest biggest customers on almost on a daily basis. Each one of my engineers has uh, a KPI goal that they need to reach for each one of their accounts in regards to adoption uh, of different features and the product uh, as a whole. Uh, and if the adoption is not growing, this is where we actually mark different risks within the accounts. So it's also sort of a metric where we uh, identify accounts that we consider to be in risk, in churn risk, or, uh, or, or basically uh, uh, accounts that require additional attention from the team and the company. Excellent. Okay, that's good to hear. I'd like to talk a little bit, if you if we can, about um, onboarding, customer onboarding, and again, maybe perhaps just concentrating on your your highest tier of, of clients. Generally speaking, how does the onboarding work, and is that carried out by the success engineers? Do you have a specialist who deal with onboarding only? Could you talk us a little bit through that? So it's a little bit different in Perimeter Eighty One. So um, the reason for that is because customer success is actually involved in the pre-sale process. So we have a customer success engineer already attached to a sales engineer uh, once we get to a proof of concept. So this means that the same customer success engineer that is going to be responsible for this account and uh, for the entire life cycle of this account is actually uh, uh, getting introduced to the use cases and the company uh, on the pre-sale level and they're and they part of the sale. They're doing the demo, they're doing the proof of concept, they get the technical win. And then they're doing the onboarding and the ongoing relationship. Um, so once we get to the onboarding process, usually the customer success engineer is already very familiar with the pain points, the use cases, and what was promised to the customer and their expectations out of the product. Um, so the onboarding is usually very smooth because during the onboarding, they just need to set up uh, uh, the success factors for the onboarding. Uh, usually it's done within one meeting or even uh, half a meeting. And then basically based on those success metrics, they define roles and responsibilities uh, with the same team that actually purchased the, uh, the product. So they basically keep on going with the honeymoon period that they had um, until the product is up and running and we already have users that are starting to use the product on a daily basis. You know, I really like that approach, particularly how the, as you say, the success engineers join the sales engineers pre-sale. Uh, and I think what that probably leads to, and you've probably uh, found this yourself, is it certainly a smoother, if you like, handover transition from pre-sales to post-sales. And as you say, by the time the customer has, or by the time the prospect has become a customer, the success engineer is, is not a stranger at that point. Um, he's been involved, he or she has been involved during the, uh, the pre-sales process, as you say. They understand the customer's pain points. They probably uh, have an idea of the success metrics or ready uh, of what's what's going to establish whether or not you know the, the platform has been successful with your customer and I think that's, that's great that they've been able to join pre-sales because often a CSM let's say for example or, or let's use your um, idea of a, the customer success engineer when they do take over when there's a handover from pre-sales to post-sales often it's the first time they've ever met the customer first time they possibly ever heard of the customer they've never spoken with them they have no ideas of what's driven them to come to your company uh, and they have to get this information secondhand either from the, uh, the, the, the sales engineer or they have to ask the customer in the kickoff call who's answered all these questions probably already when, during you know, the pre-sales with the sales engineer and often that can be a frustrating time for, uh, for the customer. So it's great to hear that at Perimeter 81 you've adopted that approach of the, sa the success engineers getting involved in the deal pre-sales. Uh, so yeah, that's, that's great. I really like that. Um, 
you mentioned obviously bef- before the the idea of uh, perimeter eighty one. You educated us as to what you do. So I would imagine at some level that uh, the current pandemic, COVID nineteen, has 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 had an influence, uh, positively or negatively, on your success operations. I wonder if maybe you could talk a little bit about that. Have have your customers seen any have been impacted by this pandemic? And if so, how has that affected the knock on to the success organization? Yeah, we, we saw a lot of, uh, well, as, as we provide a remote access solution, uh, the pandemic, especially the beginning of, of COVID-19 was very hectic for us. Uh, we had a huge spike uh, in the amount of customers and demo calls and then basically pre-sale and post-sale engagements. Um, even the existing customers that we already had, had uh, to um, uh, increase uh, they're spent with us because uh, if before they were using us for a very specific use case uh, with COVID-19, within one or two weeks, they had to move all of their uh, or most of their operations to work remotely. Um, this was very challenging for us because um, although the product was able to support it, we did have to spread a very, very uh, small customer success organization to handle all of those different requests because there were a lot of different integrations that we had to do. There was a lot of technical discussions we need to to have. There were a lot of new use cases that were introduced uh, by the existing customers as well as the new ones. And because we were covering both the pre-sale and the post-sale processes, then of course we had to manage our time to uh, do the pre-sale calls and the demos and the proof of concept while being able to be there for the existing customers and address any concern, requirement, and need that they had. And it had to be done same day. Uh, we couldn't move anything to, to a different day because everybody, for everybody, it was completely urgent to move remotely. Everybody made a decision basically within hours that they're doing that uh, and basically got uh, uh, directives from their management to find a way to, to make it happen today. So we really had to prioritize. We had about, uh, uh, we had 15 minute uh, meetings. Uh, we've uh, reduced the, the time for every meeting to 15 minutes, which, which sounds very short, but in order to be able to cover everything, this is actually what we were doing. Uh, they were very, very targeted. Uh, we've built a process where before every meeting, we knew what we're going to discuss. So we prepared everything in advance. Uh, luckily, um, our knowledge base center, the, the, the documentation center that the customer success is managing as well, was up to date. So we were very, very uh, 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 reliant on it. And it basically assists us in, in basically doing sort of a guided uh, self onboardings and uh, self growth for our customers. Uh, but this was definitely <laughs> a month to remember. Um, Right now, we do see that uh, things are coming down. There's a lot of there's a second wave of of uh, interest coming from new customers uh, that are now after the after after they can rethink their solution, are looking for uh, other solutions and cheaper solutions. So they're coming to us to to hear what we have to offer. So basically, they already have a remote access solution that they've managed to integrate. Uh, but but f- thankfully, we do see that right now. Uh, we've managed to cover the, the majority of the customer success requirements uh, requests that we got from, from, from our different customers. And uh, we're actually in a very good place in the relationship because uh, we, were, we were fortunate where we were able to get to a very quick value realization with a lot of our customers. So they've managed to, even customers that before that were looking for a specific feature or were unhappy 
with a specific interaction that they were having with us, with the team or with their pricing model, uh, it, it's, it's hard to say, but thanks to COVID-19, they've suddenly got a value realization within days of the benefit they're getting uh, out of our products. And actually, I'm glad you said thanks to COVID before I was going to say it, because, yeah, I, I guess without you know the risk of me sounding like a bad guy, I, it, it is good to hear that, I suppose, out of this situation, COVID has, has, has been very helpful for Perimeter 81. And then you did allude to it um, earlier, uh, saying that you've seen maybe the curve the demand flatten out a little bit, but there is renewed interest now um, within Perimeter 81. Considering that companies now, although they're slowly returning to work, some are still adopting a maybe a, a, a hybrid return to work po- uh, policy. Certainly, I know my company, Powtoon, are doing so, where you know a, a portion of work will be uh, officially work from home and some will be returned to the office. With that being said, how do you see that demand for uh, for services like Perimeter 81 uh, going down sort of the next 12, 6, 12 months? Are you seeing demand flattening out or are you seeing like continued renewed interest now? We're seeing continued renewed interest. Um, <clears throat> we saw it before COVID as well because, um, to be honest, the main use case we're, we're, we're accommodating is um, not, not sort of a COVID solution, uh, but actually the fact that a lot of companies or most of the companies are actually moving outside of the offices and they were doing this even before COVID-19. They were doing it much slower and uh, uh, they were, they were, some of them were very terrified of the, of the migration and the process. But there's a lot of processes that are unrelated to COVID-19 that are actually uh, uh, sort of a catalyst uh, for this shift, um, either because a lot of resources are moving from the on-premise, from your data centers into the cloud, or because um, it's really hard to hire in a lot of different uh, uh, cities and countries. So basically you're outsourcing a lot of your workforce and you're looking for talented personnel in different, in, in other regions of the world. Uh, and you need to make sure that they gain uh, access and experience and the user experience you expect them to get, even if they're not working from your uh, New York office. Um, and of course, the fact that, um, I mean, um, the world is changing. I mean, it, it seems there's a lot of people that do want to have the ability to work regardless of where they are. So a lot of digital nomads, they're moving from place to place just because they need to travel or just because they need to meet uh, customers or because they just want to have the uh, the freedom of moving from one place to another uh, and still be able to work for their companies. Um, so, so all of those are catalysts unrelated to COVID-19 that were actually moving a lot of the company. And of course, cost saving, right? Of course, this goes without saving, saying. Um, um, basically, all of those different catalysts are, are actually moving this industry to go to a different remote access uh, solutions than, rather than the ones that they have right now. So I believe the demand is going to grow. I believe the use cases are going to grow. I believe there's going to be new challenges in this sphere. And a lot of new players that we already see that are uh, starting to to basically uh, move into into this domain. Excellent, and that's really interesting that uh, you say more and more companies pr- prior to COVID were considering adopting a work from home policy, and that's a I guess in the advent of COVID that realization has become more apparent. So yeah, that's really interesting to hear. Okay, Daniel, um, I always ask my guests this as we get towards the end of the interview: if you could offer one piece of advice. For anyone who's trying to run a successful CS organization, what would that piece of advice be? So I think, especially in the SaaS world, um, 
everything comes down to the experience that our users have. Um, it, I know it's, it's sometimes tough for us to realize that it's not, it's not, the features are not the ones that are going to win, right? It's not the technology, it's not the features. It's the actual user experience. You do have to have a fit. You do have to have a basic fit between your product and the business pain points that your customers have. But eventually, especially in a world where you can switch different vendors and you can move from one solution to another uh, rather easy, um, the actual experience that your users are getting uh, and your power users are getting and your sponsors are getting uh, are the ones that are going to determine if your company is going to grow or not. So even if you've solved the problem for a customer, but it took a lot of time or a lot of effort on his end, or even if you've uh, developed the best feature in the market, but uh, your product is buggy, or if you don't have a, a good relationship with your users because they don't like your product or they don't like the layout of how your product looks like, or just because um, it's not comfortable enough for them to use, or they don't realize the value that you bring to the table, uh, you might fail and you might get a lot of churn. Uh, so I think um, the best advice I can give to any customer success out there, and not only customer success, but definitely customer success, is that our main focus is to make sure that the user experience and the satisfaction of our users and decision makers uh, are, 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 is our top priority because they're the ones that are going to decide if they're, if they're going to pay us or not eventually. Uh, and if we're not going to focus on the experience, if we're not going to fo focus on, on the satisfaction of the product, if we're not going to focus on the value realization that they will realize what's the value that we're bringing into their organization, and how we're helping them, um, we, can, we can work around the, the clock, but eventually probably somebody else is going to uh, hijack those customers just by giving them what they're missing um, in the relationship with us. Okay, that brings us to the end of today's show. Uh, my thanks to Daniel Goldfell, VP of Global Customer Success at Perimeter 81. Daniel, thank you so much for giving up your time to talk to us today. You've really given us some fascinating insights into customer success at Perimeter 81. So thank you so much for your time. Thank you. It was a pleasure. So that's it for this episode. Thank you for listening. If you haven't already, please remember to subscribe to this podcast so you receive all upcoming episodes to wherever you get your podcasts from. Thank you for listening to Churn Hacking, a customer success podcast. Until next time, take care.